This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Gersels. At the intersection of Lexington, Frankfurt, and Shelbyville Road, there sits a distinct Louisville landmark, one that has stood proudly since 1924. It has nothing to do with derby or bluegrass or bourbon making, but all of those things run through its veins. It's Gerstel's Place, a neighborhood bar of indispensable variety. The bar also features a tasty selection of pub foods, billiards, shuffleboard, and the best outdoor patio bar around. Above all, Gerstel's offers a social, entertaining bar atmosphere for 90-plus years in the making that's perfect for everything from after work to after hours, which is why it is a true Louisville landmark. Hit that ish. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> How do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. It is good to be back. I will be doing this show for you all weekly throughout the college and NFL season and this is the first week of that. Technically, yes, first week. Last week was week zero that has been coined and termed and is getting run with, but This Saturday is the first real Saturday that football is back since the NFL season was over. I know we had preseason, NFL, and as I said, the week zero, but this is the week where it all really starts and comes together. So I'm going to be previewing the college football season as a whole and then looking forward to week one and then talking a little bit of the NFL stuff because we do have big news with Andrew Luck retiring out of nowhere on Saturday night. So that's what we got in store for this episode. want to keep the intro and the introduction a little bit short because this episode is probably going to be a little bit longer and um, information packed. So leaving the intro a little bit short, I do have to close and wrap that up with like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit on iTunes and share this podcast with anybody that you would like to. means a lot. Appreciate it. So let's just jump right in with some college football talk. So it seems like you can't talk college football the past five years without talking about Clemson and Alabama. And if everything holds up true, those two teams are on a collision course again to meet in the college football playoff, if not in the college football playoff championship game. Clemson comes back 15-0 last year. They beat Alabama in the college football playoff. They bring back Trevor Lawrence. They bring back Travis Attini. Uh, apologize I know I probably said his name wrong they bring back T Higgins and they bring back a plethora of guys on offense as well they did lose a lot of their front seven to the NFL but the way that Brent Venables gets that defense to play and the way that Clemson has been recruiting the past couple years I have nothing but full confidence in the players that they have there that are going to be replacing those guys that went to the NFL to step up and play at that level again. When you look at Alabama, 14-1 and last year, 8-0 in the SEC, only loss was to Clemson in the college football playoff championship game. You bring back Tua, who is on a lot of people's radars for the Heisman. Jerry Judy as well, probably the best receiver in college football. You have defensive lineman Raquan Davis, linebacker Dylan Moses, uh, Travion Diggs at cornerback, so many other guys. And what I'm interested to see between these two teams is, starting with Clemson, how they got to face Texas A&M early in the year, but after that, everything is just pretty much a cakewalk for what they have on their schedule. The ACC is incredibly down. The only other real challenging game that they have on their schedule that I see is they have to go to Syracuse, and Syracuse gave them a good game last year, and they beat them a couple years ago. So what Dino Babers is doing up there for Syracuse is great, but how Clemson is going to be able to 
handle getting everyone's game and probably not taking them as serious because they are lesser teams. That's a thing that I think is you have to look at. And I also think that Clemson, I mentioned this after the college football championship game last year, Clemson is in that Alabama air now where if either of those teams lose, they are still going to get the benefit of the doubt and be in the college football playoff. Unless Clemson goes out and gets beat by Pitt, like by 30 or anything like that, if they only lose a game and it's a close game, they're fine because the college football playoff committee has such high regard for both of these teams that one loss isn't going to derail their entire season. Flipping to the other side of this conversation, Alabama, they've got another Alabama type schedule. I mean, they open up against Duke and then New Mexico State. A lot of their difficult games that you could peg as difficult games are at Alabama. LSU, who's six right now, comes to Alabama in November. Um, the two next hardest games for Alabama, though, they do go on the road. They have to go to Texas A&M, who I like them a lot, but their schedule is brutal. And then they end with the Iron Bowl, as always. But this year, they go to Auburn, and Auburn has a lot of question marks. Barring anything spectacular or incredible happening, I just foresee Alabama at least going undefeated to the SEC championship game. And even if they lose that, again, a one-loss Alabama team is not going to get left out of the playoff. There's not a chance that happens. So I'm not giving college football playoff picks right now in this episode. That's going to come later on. But if just... Connect the dots. Put two and two together. There's not a chance in hell Alabama and Clemson don't find themselves in the college football playoff again. We move down the list of contenders, and we have Georgia and we have Oklahoma. The thing with Georgia, and I can't stress this enough, I'm real sick and tired of hearing about how great they are when they can't show up in big games. They had Alabama beaten twice, once in the national championship game, once in the SEC championship game, lost that. Lost to LSU last year with Joe Burrow, who is a very, the very definition of game manager quarterback last year was Joe Burrow, and he game managed the hell out of the game and found a way for the LSU Tigers to beat Georgia last year. This year for Georgia, a lot a lot of pressure, I feel like, because they are being so close consistently the last two years to being able to make the college football playoff and win a national championship two years ago. So they bring back offensive tackle Andrew Thomas, Jake Fromm. DeAndre Swift is a great running back. Um, Monty Rice at linebacker. Um, J.R. Reed as well at safety for Georgia. A lot of pieces are back, but they do have some questions who was going to be catching the ball I understand that since AJ Green there hasn't really been a crazy big playmaker at wide receiver for Georgia but and Jake Fromm does a great job of spreading the ball all around that offense and getting everybody involved so as long as that Jake Fromm continues to do what he does and that O-line who is going to be one of the best in the countries, stays healthy and does what it's supposed to do. DeAndre Swift is going to have a big, big year, I think, for Georgia in the SEC. Now we move on to the Oklahoma Sooners, who lost in the college football playoff last year to Alabama. They get transfer Jalen Hurts. Um, C.D. Lamb is back at wide receiver. Kenneth Murray at linebacker is back. Trey Sermon is back at running back. So... The big story here with Oklahoma, his first two years as head coach for the Sooners, two national champions and two bursts in the college football playoff. Do I think that Jalen Hurts is going to be a Heisman candidate? I just won't even say winner. Just Heisman candidate this year? Yes, I do. And I understand that it's the Big 12 and there's not – 
that hard of defenses or anything like that. And I understand that Kyler was a better runner and Baker is definitely a better thrower than Jalen Hurts. But I think with what Lincoln Riley is going to do scheme-wise and everything and have game plans that are going to highlight Jalen Hurts' positives and he'll be able to run a little bit and show off what made him so good at Alabama his first year before Tua took over, and I do think he is a better passer than what people give him credit for, that in that offense playing those teams in the Big 12 that have such lacking defenses, Jalen Hurts is going to find himself in the Heisman conversation because of all those factors. Overall, as a team, I like Oklahoma. There's really only one solidified challenger right now to them in the Big 12, and that's Texas, and we're going to talk a little bit about them later. So Georgia and Oklahoma, I like what they can do within their conference, but I'm still leaving some question marks for what they can do nationally when it comes to the college football playoff. We move now to the next two groupings of teams that I want to talk about, and that would be the Texas Longhorns and the Ohio State Buckeyes. So looking at Texas, they went 10-4 and last year, and they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Um, some key returners playing, you have Sam Ellinger, you have wide receiver Colin Johnson, and safety Caden Stearns. It has been more than 10 years since Texas won 10 games or more in back-to-back seasons. Um, They did that last year, so anything less than 10 wins in this year for Tom Herman and the Longhorns, I think, is definitely a bit of a disappointment. Pretty easy easy opening game against uh, Louisiana Tech, and then the second week you have a game that is like the are they for real bowl? You got LSU going up against Texas, and both of those teams each year face a question like, oh, are they back? Like, is this the year LSU was back? Is Texas finally back? This game is the Super Bowl the of are they really back, and I'm super excited for that. Um, Texas does get a lot of challenging games at the end of the season. They, got Iowa, they have to go to Iowa State. They um, bring in Oklahoma State early on in the year, and Oklahoma State is always dangerous. They have to go to West Virginia um, with new coach Neil Brown there. So that's some a games to keep your eye on for Texas later on in the year. But this whole Texas team, I think, goes, if Sam Ellinger stays healthy, goes as far as he will take them, and if the Sugar Bowl is any indication of what he can do when he's fully healthy and how long and prosperous he can be with this team I like Texas's chances not only in the Big 12 but for postseason play as well but they have to stay healthy and they have to develop other receivers and a running game along with Sam Ellinger and the playmaking ability that he has moving on now we look at the Ohio State Buckeyes who last year 13 and 1 beat Washington in the Rose Bowl they bring back Chase Young bring back Malik Harrison bring back one of the more underrated running backs in the country in J.K. Dobbins, and welcome in from Georgia transfer quarterback J.K. Um, Justin Fields. This season does not hinge on how well Justin Fields plays, but if the Buckeyes are going to be national title contenders, Justin Fields has to be better than what he has shown from what he did at Georgia and what some reports from camp and everything has been for Justin Fields. They can rely on J.K. Dobbins and he can be a bell cow back and carry the ball about 25, 30 times a game if you really need it. But I don't think Ryan Day wants that to happen. The way that he has been billed and the work he did with Haskins really instills the idea that he wants a quarterback that's going to be able to just stand back there and sling it and throw the ball all over the field and get people involved. And the Buckeyes have a lot of guys back that can be that guy. you got K.J. Hill, who probably by middle of the season, he only needs 48 more receptions to become Ohio State's all-time leader in receptions. You have Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack, who have at times flashed um, glimpses of their potential. Uh, Benjamin Victor, especially in that 
Penn State game last year, but overall, consistently, they haven't been there and lived up to their potential, so that would be key to get another guy out there at receiver. I mean, you have Chris Olave, the sophomore. You have C.J. Saunders, who got named captain. You have the five-star Garrett Wilson, uh, freshman that came in as well, so there's pieces out there at receiver for the Buckeyes, and I think another a, a bigger question for Ohio State, rather than the Justin Fields play, is the defensive side of the ball. And after not even a nationally bad year, I mean, national ranks, they're pretty much in the middle of it, of the ranks for yards and points and everything like that. But by Ohio State standards, last year's defense was abysmal, so they bring in new coaches. They bring in uh, linebackers coach from Michigan. They bring in defensive coordinator from Michigan who had one of, if not the best defenses in the country last year, according to st- statistics and whatnot. So they bring those guys in. They bring in Jeff Haley, a defensive secondary wizard, and he's recruited his ass off. Brian Hartline has recruited his ass off on the offensive side of the ball. So, again, Justin Fields, how he develops will be a big storyline, but that defense, this Buckeye team needs desperately for that to improve from last year for them to have any chance nationally because I think even if Justin Fields is half of what they think he can be, that offense will be fine because they have so many pieces and so many weapons. And the O-line is a little young. Uh, They do have one senior and a grad not a graduate senior a transfer in from Rutgers that are going to be the centerpieces of that and the rest are sort of young but everything I've heard out of Ohio State camp and everything they like what they're doing on the offense and they have a lot of depth on the offensive line which is good in case of injuries or anything um the strength of the Ohio State defense, without a doubt, will be the defensive line. You have Chase Young, you have uh, Jonathan Cooper coming back as well. They can be there and anchor that for them. So, Buckeyes, defense is what scares me about them because there are still so many unknowns and we have no idea what that is really going to look like. So, still a little op- caution I'm still cautious on Ohio State, but I'm extremely optimistic about their upcoming season. Moving on to these next two teams that are grouped together, you have Notre Dame and LSU. Notre Dame with Ian Book coming back at quarterback, coming off a 12-1 season where they went undefeated in the regular season and then lost to Clemson in the college football playoff. And, I mean, if we're going to be honest... Clemson played, not Clemson, Notre Dame played Clemson tougher than Alabama did, but that's none of my business. Um, Some players coming back for Notre Dame, you have defensive lineman Julian Aquara and linebacker Aloe Gilman. Um, I don't think that Notre Dame is going to have that great of a year this year, to be honest. So... I'm just going to move on from that. I just really don't like what they're doing. I think Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, I I just don't like what they got going on. Now we look at LSU. You have coming back Grant Delpit, safety, and Christian Fulton, a cornerback, and 10-3 last year, 5-3 in the SEC, beat UCF in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Again, if Joe Burrow continues to progress – They can make some noise in the SEC, but I don't think they're going to have enough to challenge Alabama or anything like that overall in the SEC. So, again, they can be a good team and have a good season, but to be in the SEC championship game, they're more than likely going to have to beat Alabama, and I just don't foresee that happening. So the Tigers, again, can still have a good year, but nationally and everything they do have to play texas so that'll be a big game the second week of the year but in the sec and on a larger scale to get past alabama and make noise for the college football playoff doesn't look very good for lsu next um you have the oregon ducks who bring back justin herbert um offensive tackle suel linebacker troy die 
a lot of ups and downs for Oregon last year. Uh, Justin Herbert didn't have that great of a year, which is probably which led him to come back for his senior season. And they, to me, are the team in the Pac-12 to beat. Um, I'm all in on Oregon this year. I think that they have a running game that can help Herbert as well. Their defense is improving. So... Overall, I know Utah is getting a lot of buzz in the Pac-12, and Washington has been consistently up there in the Pac-12 rankings and standings for that conference. But this year, to me, I think Oregon is going to surprise a lot of people, and they open up against Auburn the first week of the season. And I think Oregon is going to do very well this year and that first week against Auburn. Next, you have Florida, who... They were in the Week 0 game against Miami, who ended up beating them. It's pretty much a good defense with a okay offense, and that okay offense is led by okay quarterback Felipe Franks. So if he can continue to develop and everything, uh, Dan Mullen is a great coach and gets a lot out of players, especially on the defense side of the ball. But I just don't think Felipe Franks, if he continues to play like he did against Miami throughout the year, just will not progress enough and develop enough for Florida to take that next jump and challenge Georgia in the SEC East. Next two teams I want to talk about are the Michigan Wolverines and Washington Huskies. We started with Michigan. This I'm an Ohio State fan. I get that. So this might come off extremely one-sided and biased, it might seem, but it's... It's from someone that pays attention to Michigan because I care about beating them every year. I am so sick and tired every fucking year. I Every year. Oh, it's Michigan's year. This is the best team that Harbaugh has had. This is this. This is that. I get this is the first time that Harbaugh has had a quarterback for consecutive years with Shea Patterson coming back now. And he's turning over the offensive play calling to someone new. But the guy he's turning over to hasn't called plays at the college football level ever. So that's some question marks. I really don't think that's going to last all year. I think Harbaugh will take over the reins. And if it's not publicized, he might do it behind the scenes. But I don't think Harbaugh is going to give this guy much of a long leash, especially if things don't aren't clicking and rolling like Harbaugh sees fit. Um, they bring back linebacker uh, Hudson and cornerback Hill, and they have good receivers as well. The lack of a running game is a little concerning because they lost their number one guy to a season-long suspension for certain reasons. Um, Harbaugh is 1-10 in top ten against top 10 teams at Michigan. I... I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about, oh, it's Michigan's year, it's Michigan's year. I don't think it's Michigan's year. I think they probably lose at least two games. Uh, one of those is definitely to Ohio State. I understand the game is at Michigan this year, but two years ago it was at Michigan. Ohio State went in there and won. Um, this past year, a game, yes, it was at Ohio, Ohio State, but... Michigan had so much confidence. They had the best defense statistically or whatever in the country. Blah, 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 blah. Ohio State's defense had a down year. Ohio State gave up 39 points. Most of the time, that would be enough for a win against a team. But Michigan's best defense in the country couldn't do anything to stop Ohio State. Oh, my goodness. What an ad that just popped up on my screen. But we look at this year, two losses a good season, probably a loss in the bowl game, and again, go 10-3 and on the year for Michigan. Moving now to Washington out west. Um, they were 10-4 and last year, 7-2 and in the Pac-12. They bring back Trey Adams um, on the offensive line. They bring back Nick Harris on the offensive line. They bring back Miles Bryant, a DB. They lose in what feels in a super short amount of time, it feels like he was there. But they move on from Jake Browning and uh, start Eason, the quarterback, who transferred in from, what's it called, from Georgia. I think it's the same old, same old for Washington. Um, they'll be good in the Pac-12, but I think nationally, it. 
I don't think they have enough to compete with the Clemsons or the Alabamas and things like that. They have a bit of a tough schedule as well. They have to go to Stanford um, on October 5th. They they welcome in Hawaii, and Hawaii is a very good team with a lot of returning stars. I understand they sort of they didn't struggle to beat Arizona. They were up and in control of that game most of the time. Then Oregon is going to go to Washington on October 19th, and then Utah is going to Washington on November 2nd. Those two back-to-back for them, I think, are going to determine whoever is going to win the Pac-12 because I think those three are the best three teams in the Pac-12, head and shoulders above everyone else. Moving on, we have Texas A&M and Utah. Texas A&M, they bring back Kellen Mond, who is a really good quarterback, and Jimbo Fisher is developing him, and I like what they're doing there. But, again, Texas A&M has such a difficult schedule um, this year, so it's going to be hard for them to find, I think, a lot of footing and a lot of traction throughout the year. I think they might be able to get, like, going here, going there, But to continue and have extended success, I think it's going to be difficult for them. I mean, they got to go to Clemson, then they got to play Auburn, then they got to play Alabama all within a four-week stretch. And then they have to play Georgia at Georgia as well, go to LSU, one of the most difficult schedules in the entire country this year. So... Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher are doing well. They're progressing and they're building, but they are behind. They are stymied here with their schedule. So last year, nine and four, I could see somewhere along those lines again. Maybe they upset one of those teams. That would cause a lot of chaos within the uh, rankings and whatnot. But overall, I just think the schedule is going to really. Do a day, do a number on Texas A and M, and hurt their chances this year. Now we look at Utah, who was nine and five last year, six and three in the Pac-12. They bring back some key players as well. They're the favorites to win the Pac-12 South, but I just don't foresee them overall winning the Pac-12. Um, a lot of people are high on them this year. They play physical, they play fast, so they have the talent to make some noise in the Pac-12 overall, but nationally I don't believe they are just there quite yet. Next, you have the UCF Knights and Penn State. UCF, um, they lose Scott Frost last year. Josh uh, Hupel led UCF to another undefeated regular season in just his first year. Um, They bring back Greg McCary. Uh, running back and Richie Grant, safety for them. They are getting uh, Wimbush, the transfer from Notre Dame, to be their starter because Mackenzie Milton is still hurt. Um, I don't even, I'll be honest with you, I don't think UCF is the best non-Power 5 team this year. I think that's Boise State. Boise State has a big game this first week up against Florida State, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. I think UCF takes a step back. I don't like Brian Wimbush. As much as Mackenzie Milton, I think Wimbush is very inconsistent at times. So um, I'm a little bit hesitant to be all on the UCF bandwagon. Um, moving on to Penn State, 9-4 and four last year. Um, they took a step back. They lost Saquon last year. Uh, Trace McSorley is gone now as well. Um, they got the 13th ranked recruiting class coming in. It's all about how well the new quarterback for Penn State is going to do. And if he can be all right and that defense can be what it has been the fa- past few years, Penn State will be right there in contention to win their division in the Big Ten and potentially find their way to Indianapolis and playing with a chance to win the Big Ten. Moving on now, you have Auburn and Iowa. Auburn's defense, you bring back D-line Derek Brown, um, defensive lineman Nick Cole, linebacker Marlon Davidson, and offensive lineman Wagano. I like what they have coming back, but the quarterback, they lose Stidham, and that's a big question mark. He was the guy there for so long. Um, I just, 
every year it feels like Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat, and I think this year will be no different. I think he'll be fine, and his job will be safe, but I don't think they are on the level of an all of a Alabama or a Georgia in the SEC again. So I don't think they're going to be real national title or college football playoff contenders, but they can, they have the talent to maybe beat a team like a, um, like an Alabama or LSU and maybe cause some, uh, chaos within the SEC West rankings. Next, you have Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, Iowa, they're just really boring. I bring they bring back AJ uh, Epeniza, the defensive end, who is one of the more criminally underrated players in the country. He's probably going to have a big year. I think Iowa is. I think it's just cut copy and paste for what they're going to do. They were 9-4 last year, um, I think somewhere around there again, and that's a good season for Iowa. That's nothing to hang your hat, nothing to hang your head about. Um, I just foresee that being the case again for what they do. Then you go to Wisconsin, and they bring back Jonathan Taylor, who is probably the best running back in the country. Um, they have offensive linemen coming back as well, two of them. Um, didn't reach double-digit wins for the first time in uh, Paul Chris' seventh season. Um, I think they're going to rely too heavily on Jonathan Taylor, and I think that team's going to be a little too one-dimensional. They're going to have a ton of talent, like I said, with Taylor at the running back position, but quarterback play has always been a question for Wisconsin, and receiver play has always been a little... Not like lacking, I don't want to say non-existent because they have had a few good receivers come from there, but lacking overall. So this Wisconsin team can go as far as Jonathan Taylor takes them. And unfortunately, when teams know that they pretty much just have to stop Jonathan Taylor to stop that offense, things become a little bit more difficult for the Badgers overall. Then you have the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Um, they just now got on sanctions last week. They're on probation. I don't know if they can't go to a bowl game or anything this year. Um, they lose Nick Fitzgerald, who I was always a fan of at quarterback. Um, it's going to be... They have a good defense coming back, but it's going to be difficult, I think, to replace a playmaker like Nick Fitzgerald and everything like that. So Mississippi State will probably struggle a little bit more this year than what people expect. Uh, Michigan State, the Spartans are up next. They bring back uh, Kenny Wilkes, uh, defensive lineman, Raycon Williams, defensive lineman, and linebacker Joe Bocci. Um, A lot of talent coming back on the defensive side of the ball. Their offense the past few years has been the problem. Uh, Lewerke at quarterback for them has been up and down. When he's good, he's really good. When he's bad, he's really bad. Um, personally met him. He's a good guy. Um, can't can't say he's not, but on the football field, he's a bit inconsistent. So if that defense can continue to be the strong point and that offense under D'Antoni can develop a little bit, I know D'Antoni's more of a defensive guy, but if that offense can continue to develop, Michigan State could make some noise and be a sleeper pick for some people in the Big Ten. You have Virginia Tech up next at 22 in the polls. I haven't been listing the numbers on the poll because this is where I'm looking at the rankings are SIs, not the APs, so that's why. But um, according to SI, the 22nd best team in the country, uh, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Um, Virginia Tech has talented turn things around, um, but not returning a lot of key players. I just don't think this is Virginia Tech's year. Next, Iowa State Cyclones. They are... A lot of people sleeper pick to win the Big 12. Their offense and that quarterback that they have puts up points and does well. Um, their defense is progressing as well. I think Iowa State can maybe upset some teams here and there throughout the Big 12 season that could really change up the standings in the Big 12, but I don't think they're going to be able to be consistent enough on a week-to-week basis for them to end up playing in the Big 12 championship game. Now, we move on to the 24th team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who were 4-8 last year. Um, they 
are a lot of people's sleeper pick in the Big Ten because of Martinez at quarterback. Um, Scott Frost is a great coach. He gets a lot out of his players. Um, I'm just not sold on them yet. I think they can be competitive and good this year and definitely win a lot more than four games, but I just don't foresee them taking such a big step as everybody else is predicting right now. Um, the 25th team in the country, you have the Sanford Cardinal. They bring back one uh, top player with offensive lineman Walker Little. They've had 8-12 to 12 wins every year for the last decade. Um, backup quarterback KJ Castillo will prevent any he's the man now he'll i think he will be able to step in and keep that streak of 8 to 12 wins available um they're super consistent they they're well coached with Shaw as the head coach i really want Sanford to be good but i just don't foresee them being on the level with the Utahs and the Washingtons and the Oregons this year in the Pac-12 to really make any difference in the Pac-12 standings or to even make the Pac-12 championship game. Let's now transition to week one of college football that the first Saturday is this Saturday, August 31st, but there's some games on Thursday and Friday that need to be talked about as well. I'm going to go through and go through some of the bigger matchups, and after we wrap up this week one preview, I will give you my college football playoff predictions and some Heisman people to watch as well this first week on thursday you have florida a&m going to ucf i think ucf handles that i think they're head and shoulders much better than florida a&m um it'll be interesting to see how wimbush does so that's a storyline to watch you have georgia tech going to clemson that same thursday and clemson again should handle this one overall but it's going to be interesting to see georgia tech for the first time in many years not be there and running their uh, triple option offense so that'll just be something to see I don't think this is going to be much of a competitive game but that's a storyline to watch there as well Um, Trevor Lawrence uh, is going to get his Heisman campaign started this game as well expect him to have a big game the game of that day though is really Utah going to BYU Uh, BYU is always a solid team uh Pretty good defense, but lacking offensive side of the ball. It'll be a nice challenge for Utah in their opening game to go on the road against a very consistent team over the past uh, 10 years or so. But I think Utah does end up getting it done. The next games that are happening um, are Friday, August 30th. You have Tulsa going to Michigan State. I believe Michigan State wins that one pretty handedly. And then... A little bit of a trap game here for Wisconsin. I think USF with Charlie Strong, Wisconsin has to go to USF. Could be a bit of an issue, but if Jonathan Taylor is rolling and doing what he does on the ground, Wisconsin should handle this one pretty easily. But UCF does have enough talent, and Charlie Strong coaches well enough that in a big game like this, they could pose a bit of a challenge to Wisconsin, but I think Wisconsin does walk away with the win. Now we go to the Saturday games, and first one right out of the gate. At noon, you have Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin, and that high-powered offense that he seems to always have goes to Ohio State. Um, it'll be a nice challenge for the Ohio State defense, the new and improved, hopefully, Ohio State defense in the first game uh, to play an offense that is going to be able to put up a lot of points on teams this year. So a good test for them, but I think Ohio State is able to handle that because their offense is better, and I think their defense is better than Ford Atlantic's. Um, moving on, Duke and Alabama playing the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Uh, Tua will begin his Heisman campaign starter there. Alabama should have this one wrapped up pretty easily. Nothing um, too crazy there. The next game that I would like to speak on is Northwestern and Stanford. Northwestern goes to Stanford. Northwestern coming off losing in the Big Ten championship game to Ohio State last year. Had a really good year for what they uh, usually do. Surprised a lot of people, and I think Fitzgerald there at coaches is going to continue to develop and build on the success of last year. Could be 
a bit of an upset, if you want to call it that. Um, Northwestern could go to Sanford and I think cause some issues for the Cardinal. And Northwestern, I think, is going to walk out with a win. Um, the big game Saturday, though, that people are talking about is Oregon against Auburn. I am extremely high on Oregon this year. I really cannot stress that enough. I like what they do, what they have coming back, pieces around Herbert, a defense that can keep teams out of the end zone and force turnovers and just be a nice compliment on the other side of the ball to Herbert and a more than likely high-powered offense. Auburn's defense, though, their D-line is very good. This will probably be one of, if not the best, defensive fronts that Oregon plays against all year. So it'll be interesting to see how those the battle in the trenches is won and who wins that. I think whoever does win that ends up winning the game, and I think Oregon is going to be able to slow down Auburn's pass rush and be able to do things. And I know that's really weird because when you think Pac-12, you don't think of D-linemen and offensive linemen in these um, gritty, for lack of a better term, and physical guys in the Pac-12, but I think Oregon has the guys to do that and slow down Auburn's pass rush, so I take Oregon in that one. Um, on Those are pretty much the big games Saturday. We move to Sunday now, and there's a game on September 1st. We have Houston going to Oklahoma. It's going to be a shootout down there. Um, I like what Lincoln Riley has done at Oklahoma. I love what Lincoln Riley has done at Oklahoma in his two first years, and I don't expect that offense or anything to really skip a beat in this game. It's going to be extremely high scoring, I feel like. Um, In the end, though, I think Oklahoma has too many athletes. But Houston's quarterback is one of the best-kept secrets in the country. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, and I hate that I'm doing this, but I implore you to watch this game because he is so good and so dangerous at quarterback for Houston. Um, King, excuse me, his last name's King. Keep an eye out on him in this game and overall throughout the year for Houston. Um, they bring in West Virginia's old coach who had West Virginia only had high powered offenses and has the talent there at quarterback with King for Houston to do the same. So a high scoring game, but I think Oklahoma is just way better team. So they end up getting the win. And then on Monday, September 2nd, uh, Notre Dame goes to Louisville, a hometown game. I just don't foresee, I didn't really get to talk about the hometown team, so I'll roll that into this. Um, Louisville this year with Scott Satterfield coming in has only preached culture change, culture change, culture change. And I get that's a thing you have to do and everything, but it's getting super annoying only hearing that. And I get you need to change the culture, and that's a big thing, but you need to also win games. And... I'm sure that U of L fans are thinking, well, when we finally get his culture implemented and the culture change happens and he can recruit better and all these other things, then we're going to start to win games. Well, how long do you want to give Scott Satterfield? Like, how long are you willing to give him so that culture change can happen and he can get his players in here that are going to play hard and all this other shit and all this stuff? How long do we give him? I have, I don't have a deadline because I don't care how long it takes, like, I think Satterfield's a good hire, but I don't think he's going to do anything crazy or exceed any expectations of people that they have. I think he can be and take U of L to being a consistently good, like eight to nine win team, maybe here and there down the line. So that's where I'm at. Now, so for that game Monday, I have Notre Dame winning quite handedly. Um, To stay in with the uh, hometown teams, Kentucky, I didn't talk about them in the preseason top 25 because they're not ranked there. Um, They lose Benny Snell. They lose Josh Allen. They lose a lot of guys in the secondary as well. That made that defense good. They bring back Cash Daniels. Um, They lost one of their 
key uh, secondary guys this year for the season already, so that was a big blow. Um, A.J. Rose is expected to be a big uh, threat for them on offense at running back, and they have Smoke as well at running back. So if those two guys can come together and be somewhat of what Benny Snell was for the team last year, that will um, extremely help those guys. You also have to look for some development from Terry Wilson. Last year he was serviceable. Um, He did a lot of things to not lose us games, and most of the time he didn't do a lot for us to win games. If he can stay being a threat on the ground with his legs and has improved his passing even a little bit, that is going to help that offense and open up running lanes so defenses can't just stack the box and everything but even when defenses were stacking the box and they knew the run was coming last year um that offensive line who has some guys coming back for this year um was able to open holes and Benny Snell was able to do things and I'm not saying that was all because of one or the other I think those two Benny Snell and that offensive line worked together beautifully um so if AJ Rose and Smoke can come together and take some pressure off Terry Wilson and if Terry Wilson can come in and throw the ball better that'll help take pressure off of the running game Kentucky has a chance they're right now their win totals at six and a half and looking at their schedule um they can be better than just six and a half seven wins um but it does depend a lot on what Terry Wilson can do in his second year. I mean, they open up against Toledo. They can win that. They got to play Eastern Michigan. They can win that. They host Florida. Florida looked very okay against Miami. Um, They go to Mississippi State. They go to South Carolina. Two games that I think they need to win at least one of those. They have the win streak against South Carolina, so that's pretty doable. Their crossover opponent from the SEC West is Arkansas, one of the worst teams from the SEC West, so that's winnable, but they do have uh, Rakeem Boyd from Last chance you at Arkansas, who's an extremely good running back that will be playing on Sundays. And I think because he plays at Arkansas and they don't get a lot of the national buzz or anything, he flies under the radar a lot. But I mean, then they got to go to Georgia, but they bring in Missouri. And Missouri is one of a sleeper teams in the SEC. They have an extremely easy schedule. Kelly Bryant coming over from Clemson. They're going to be really good this year. I like what they're doing. Um, then Tennessee comes to town, Vanderbilt, Tennessee Martin, and UofL. I mean, you can beat Louisville, you can beat Tennessee Martin, you can beat Vanderbilt, you probably beat Tennessee since it's at Kentucky, you can beat Arkansas, you can beat South Carolina, you can beat Eastern Michigan, and you can beat Toledo. There's eight wins right there. There's You're over six and a half, you're eight wins, and then you go and you play a good team in a bowl game and you win that nine wins i understand that's a regression um from the win total last year but from what you lost as kentucky as a team and what expectations really are for kentucky football not much and people might think the last year was a flash in the pan if you can go put up nine wins with everything that i just said that's a very successful year and more than likely that means aj rose and smoke were able to progress and terry wilson was playing better and throwing the ball better so that's my hometown wrap up um L a lot of question marks and gonna need some time and might struggle this year but with scott satterfield i think they are headed in the right direction and with the progression of players like terry wilson and the running backs and defensive side of the ball um Kentucky is in a good place as well now we talked about some teams let's talk about some individual players these are some people that I think are going to make some noise for um Heisman candidates this year um some sleepers I think Adrian Martinez at Nebraska is going to be good enough um Last year when they played Colorado, 304 yards of total offense, and that was just his first game. Um, He has the ability to develop. He's drawn some comparisons uh, to Lamar Jackson, not as such a gifted runner, but the speed and everything like that. Um, The Big Ten, you play some good defenses, and if you can put up big numbers against those good defenses, you're going to catch some people's eye. I think he might be a little too young to do this. I think he still might need some development and to uh, hone his game in a little bit better, but he has the chance, if Nebraska can get off to a hot start and be playing well, to catch some people's eye. 
probably the best playmaker in the country, Rondell Moore, the wide receiver for Purdue from Trinity High School here in Louisville, Kentucky. Had an incredible, incredible um, debut for Purdue last year in his first game um, against Ohio State. He had 170 yards and two touchdowns when Purdue upset Ohio State last year. Just a highlight waiting to happen is Rondell Moore every time he's on the field. I don't think that because the Heisman Trophy has now sort of become like you have to be a great player on a great team. I don't think Purdue is that, but I think if you were going to go strictly just based off what it used to be as being the best player in college football, Rondell Moore should be in the top five for Heisman voting um, every year because he is that good of a player. Um, Another guy that is sort of overlooked on his team. Uh, Travis Attini, I again, I'm probably saying his name wrong, the running back for Clemson. He's a junior. Everybody, when somebody says Clemson, they immediately go to Trevor Lawrence, and I understand that. He's probably the best player in college football. Like, if there was a draft, he would probably go first over other like everybody else. Um, so he, the running back for Clemson gets overlooked, but he had an incredible game. An incredible season last year, averaged 8.1 yards a carry. Um, they have an easy schedule. He has tons of opportunity um, to perform well, but I just don't think he's going to be able to wean the attention from Trevor Lawrence on Clemson when they're doing well onto himself for him to get invited to New York. Um, next, we have quarterback Sam Ellinger for Texas. He has a very good opportunity if he stays healthy, as I mentioned earlier, and can do what he has shown that he can do. Really good opportunity to get invited to New York, but again, it's sort of become that you have to be a great player on a great team, so... If he's performing well, but the rest of Texas hasn't come together and there's still question marks being left around him at other positions on offense and maybe the defense and Texas isn't back like they say they are, um, then that could run into an issue for him. Next, I think you do have to look at Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is going to have a very easy schedule when it comes to playing defenses. Lincoln Riley is just the quarterback whisperer and able to get the most out of his quarterbacks and they can put up points in a hurry. Um, You bring back C.D. Lamb as well who's a big offensive threat for Jalen Hurts and his running ability is also going to help him put up stats. So I don't think Jalen Hurts gets invited to New York but I think throughout the year you will consistently hear his name linked to the Heisman Trophy just because of what Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma did uh, the past couple years winning the last two uh, of the Heisman Trophy winners coming from Oklahoma and being quarterbacks moving on now we have Justin Herbert quarterback for Oregon he comes back um he was sensational two years ago comes back had a bit of a disappointing year and I think to solidify his draft status as being the like quarterback to take next year, he's going to have to have a, a big year, a big rebound year from what he had last year, and I think he's capable of doing that. That offense is equipped with playmakers around him, so he's a guy to look at. Um, overall, I just want to cut this down now. Um, I think the three guys that get invited to New York are Tua Tungalova for Alabama, the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence from um, Clemson, and Jonathan Taylor, the running back for Wisconsin. And I think Tua wins it. I think the Heisman has sort of become like this stamp of approval type thing for guys that are moving on from college to the NFL. And I think Tua is going to forego a senior year and go to the NFL after this year. And I think he's going to win it this year. And then I think next year Trevor Lawrence is going to win it. I don't think that the highs Because, I mean, if Tua puts up good numbers like he did last year where he got invited and Alabama is what everybody expects it to be. There, It'll probably be because of Tua being so good. There's no reason for them not to give it, unless Trevor Lawrence just has an insane year and is his stats are ridiculously better than what Tua's are. I just don't see the Heisman voters giving it to anybody but Tua. 
So it is now time to do the college football playoff predictions for Carson Sack this year. And to start right off, Clemson and Alabama are in. I'm going to go Alabama with the one seed and Clemson the two seed. I think if both those teams go undefeated, they I think Alabama will have better wins than what Clemson does, so the committee will put Alabama ahead. And if Alabama doesn't go undefeated, because I do think they have a better chance of losing a game than what Clemson does, I still think Alabama would be the second team. So interchangeable, Clemson and Alabama are one and two, but in my official final ones, I'll have Alabama number one and Clemson number two. And then I think the third-ranked team is going to be Ohio State. I know you all might say that's a homer pick, whatever, but Justin Fields, when, when or if he develops and – taps into his potential that made him so highly recruited uh, out of high school. And if that Ohio State defense can come together, they have talent everywhere and are one of the deepest teams in the country. And even if they do, I think, lose one game this year, as long as it's to a good team, I think they do have the opportunity, based on the strength of their schedule, to still make the college football playoff. But they can't go out and lose to an Iowa like they did a couple years ago or lose to a... Uh, Purdue like they did last year. There's a couple of those trap games this year. They got to go to uh, Nebraska and they got to go to Northwestern throughout the year. But luckily they don't have to play Purdue again, so that's good. But I do think Ohio State finds its way there in the third. Now I'm between about three teams here for this four four teams here for this four spot: Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, and Oregon. I don't think. What what I think will happen is Oklahoma and Texas will probably split the year, and whoever wins the Red Rover rivalry will probably lose in the Big 12 championship game, sort of like it was last year. I mean, Texas beat Oklahoma during the regular season and then lost to Texas in the Big 12 championship game, and Oklahoma ended up getting in. And I understand Texas had some more losses and everything, but... Both of those teams have the opportunity to come together and be good and have that fourth spot be theirs. Georgia, as well, they have all the talent in the country as well with Jake Fromm coming back and being there at the helm at quarterback. They do have some games, though, they could lose. Um, again, I know I said I'm not high on Notre Dame, but anything can happen. They got to Georgia host them the third week of the year. Georgia's got to go to Florida and to Auburn um, the last two, two out of the last three weeks. Excuse me, no. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, two out of the last five weeks, they have to go to Florida and to Auburn, and then they host Texas A&M, who at the second to last week of the season, and by that time, Texas A&M, who is a talented, good team, may be so worn out and so beat down from the schedule that that might not even be a game. Um, there is always that possibility of them meeting Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if Georgia goes into that game with one loss and loses like they did last year to Alabama, I could see them getting held out of the college football playoff again. My, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm high on them. I'm going to keep riding with them. Oregon, Oregon is that fourth team to me. Um, they have, Herbert there and I think they can go as far as he takes them and I think he can take them extremely far again they have the opening game against Auburn which even if they lose this I still think they have a chance because people don't hold losses early in the season against you as much as I think they should and they have a tough schedule to where they have to go to Stanford they have to go to Washington they host Washington State they have to go to USC Uh, They have to go to Arizona State, who will probably be a good team by then, and then they'll have to play um, Utah in probably the Pac-12 championship game. And if Utah stays as good as everybody thinks they are, that'll probably be a top 15 win for them as well. So if they can make it through that with only one loss, and I think they have the talent to do that, I think it'd be hard to hold out a one-loss Pac-12 champion over a two-loss Georgia who would be the SEC runner-up, but that's just personally me. And I think it might also come down to if Texas and Oklahoma are playing as well. 
Um, one of those teams being a one-loss Big 12 team or the Pac-12 champion, if it was Oregon being a one-loss Pac-12 champion, who would they put in? Oklahoma or Oregon and or Texas or Oregon. And whichever one of those teams is overall has performed better. That's something for the committee to decide. That's not for me to say particularly, but I am going to pick Oregon as the fourth team. And I think we once again get a Clemson-Alabama final, and I think Alabama ends up winning it this year. I fucking hate that so much. But Nick Saban, it's a real revenge tour, not like what Michigan's bullshit one was last year. And Nick Saban, when his team does lose in big games at the end of the year his team always comes back to next year with something to prove and a Nick Saban and an Alabama team with their chip on their soldier soul shoulder is probably one of the most dangerous things in all of sports so I have Alabama over Clemson for the fifth time that's happened those two teams have faced off um in the college football playoff and I have Alabama winning it Moving on, I'm going to wrap this thing up pretty quickly now. I did want to talk one thing about the NFL before the season starts. Andrew Luck on Saturday night announced his retirement, and I think if you have a problem with that or anything like that, I think that speaks well more to your character and who you are as a person than who what Andrew Luck is as a person. Um, he gave the Colts organization uh, so much and they failed to protect him with offensive linemen for the first four years of his career. And that led to him being injured and having to go to rehab um, pretty much every offseason and into the season. He'd have to battle through injuries and do rehab and stuff. And that takes a toll mentally on people. And mental health is nothing to joke about or anything like that. So, um... I understand that it sucks as a Colts fan because you had a good team and you were building and you were continuing to develop and you thought you were going to have Andrew Luck for so many more years and now you don't. Uh, Brissett is a good quarterback and come in and win you games and be a good game manager and at times go out and win you games. He's not going to do a lot of things to help you lose games. So it's not like you're going from Andrew Luck to... Nathan Peterman, but there is a drop-off, and I understand why Colts fans are upset, but for them to boo Andrew Luck off the field off the preseason game was uh, bullshit, absolute bullshit, and then Doug Gottlieb, I understand you're not going to hear this or whatever, but you're a fucking piece of shit for tweeting what you did, Uh, go look at that if you hadn't, but Andrew Luck, I understand and I respect your decision it sucks because it was fun to watch you play um your rookie year I recall him just having so many comeback wins um late in games and it was fun to watch and he was fun to watch and I wish him nothing but continued happiness and success in his life after football and if he wants to take a year off or two years off and just rehab and get himself healthy again you're gonna tell me the Colts aren't gonna take him back in two years that's still a possibility I don't think that we can for sure close the book on Andrew Luck's career because there always might be that possibility that he comes back. So go do whatever you want to do for a year or two years, Mr. Luck, and then if you want to come back or if you want to stay retired, that's totally fine. Um, I, like everybody else, should uh, respect that decision and wish you nothing but the best in your future endeavors. Um, I will talk more about... NFL and things like that on next week's show before the NFL season does start. Now, to wrap up this, I said I was going to just talk about these two, but little golf talk. Roy McIlroy wins the FedEx Cup, wins $15 million, outlasts Brooks Kepka on the uh, back nine, and they were going up against each other a couple weeks ago or Brooks and Rory were in the last group together, and Rory fell apart, and Brooks ended up winning the tournament. Things sort of rolls reversed this weekend, and Rory stayed consistent, played extremely well, and Brooks sort of fell apart. Uh, Doesn't really matter, though, when you think about it money-wise. I know it doesn't really matter because Brooks has been playing out of his mind for the last two years and racked up a ton of money, but it's nice to see Rory go up and... Hasn't done well in the majors, but this year has 
uh, been top 10 in 74% of the tournaments he's played in, won the players, and now won this. News just came in that uh, Brooks won the American Player of the Year and edged out Rory McIlroy. I think that's sort of bullshit. Brooks won a major, I understand, but I think overall Rory had the better year. Um, now there's some time off for these guys, but the wraparound season starts back up in September, so not much of an off season for these guys, but Nice to see Rory come out and stand up to what has been the face of golf, golf for the last few years in Brooks Koepka, who has been so dominant, and come out. And I understand the FedEx Cup isn't like a major, but it's still a pretty big fucking deal. And comes out and beats Brooks pretty much in a head-to-head matchup that they had going on. All right, that is it. Thank you all so much for listening to this extended, longer version of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week to look ahead to the NFL season and recap week one of college football and then look ahead to week two of college football. Uh, Football is finally back. Carson Sack is finally back. I appreciate you all once again for listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, all that other good shit, and retweet my tweet, please. That's all, all it takes for you for this to maybe get in front of somebody else's eyes. So thank you all for listening. And as we always end here on Carson Sack, where we talk balls, we will be... See you.